Hello, and welcome to the Horizon Podcast, where we dive deep into the minds of extraordinary professionals, uncovering the stories, inspiration, and wisdom that have shaped their careers. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Today's topic is the power of communication, and my very first guest is James Infante, a communications consultant for Van City, Canada's largest credit union. James is also chair of the board of directors for City Hive, a youth organization helping the young have a voice in their community. I'll now let James share a bit more about his background in his own words. Thanks so much, David. Um, yeah, so excited to be the inaugural guest. What a, a special place I have in um, in the podcast that you're launching. And I guess a little bit about me. Um, yes, my name is James. Um, and uh, I, I guess where to begin? I guess from the beginning. Um, you know, sure. I was born and raised as a West Coast kid to um, new immigrant parents from the Philippines. And, um, you know, I think my story really begins in a place of um, wanting to create um, an impact and uh, really focus on how uh, I showed up in the world, whether that be through my professional career and um, through what I do uh, beyond that while volunteering and in community. And so I grew up much of my life in um, quite a, I, I suppose, a political household. Um, was born and raised uh, and, and went to a, a Catholic uh, all-boys school and came out from that experience, um, you know, a, a gay socialist. And so didn't learn much from from perhaps that that time. But I think that experience certainly colored my, my um, relationship to social justice, to the work that I do, and um, how I see myself showing up in the world. Um, and right now, currently, I work in uh, communications as a consultant for the Van City Group, mostly doing executive communications. So uh, working quite a bit with our uh, executive leadership team, uh, providing them advice. Um, and previous to that, uh, I had much of my my life spent in politics. So I worked as a ministerial advisor to the uh, provincial government here in BC, to the John Horgan government and uh, many different portfolios. Um, and, and prior to that, worked quite a bit in arts education uh, for kids in school. So I've had uh, a bit of a varied career, um, but I would say the through line um, has been a real focus on on impact and uh, really finding a way to live um, live by my values. Thank you so much for that background, James. That's uh, really impressive. I, I knew a little bit about that, but uh, it's great to get a little bit more context. We share uh, that background of uh, arts education with children. Um, when I was uh, an undergrad, uh, I was co-founded a uh, nonprofit where uh, we taught me and five other classmates taught art education to inner city uh, school kids in Los Angeles. Um, so I'm happy that uh, we share that passion for the arts and education in uh, our youth. Um, could you talk a little bit about your recent podcast with Van City? Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, uh, thinking uh, about inaugural podcasts, I was a part of hosting um, one of Van City's uh, newest podcast launch. Uh, launches called Van City Chats. And um, really the goal of Van City Chats is to put ourselves in a room with um, some subject matter experts around um, finance, um, uh, clean finance, and the work that we're doing 
to advance um, uh, a cleaner and fairer world. Um, and so putting these subject matter experts Van City side with um, some thought leaders, leaders um, in various uh, uh, organizations and industries. And our first podcast was launched on Earth Day just last month um, with a young woman called uh, Naisha Khan, who was part of organizing Vancouver's largest climate uh, strike. In fact, um, Vancouver's largest uh, strike in history. Um, you know, she's a young woman um, around the age of 20, a student at UBC. And um, it was just a, a powerful conversation um, to, to talk a little bit about um, the intersections of, of what, you know, a financial institution can do in making the world a, a cleaner place. Um, and we talked a little bit about Van City's role in doing that. And also uh, the role that young people play in the environmental movement. Um, and uh particularly what drives Nation. So um, yeah, it, it was an incredible conversation, uh, a, a lot of fun and a conversation that I hope will be close to this one. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, you must be uh, some kind of good luck charm starting off all these podcasts. Um, this is a I hope so. First, not the last. No, definitely not. Um, you definitely have a, a good voice for radio. Uh, and a good face for television. Thank you. Um, this is kind of a high level abstract question. So please feel free to answer however you, you feel like answering. Um, but how would you define the power of communication in today's interconnected world? Oh, the power of communication in today's interconnected world. I, I think um, the real power in communication um, is is the ability to to broadcast to um, an audience that's larger than ever. Uh, I, I think if you think about not only the reach that we have um, through uh, the power of technology, but also the ability to to um, speak uh, the same language in many ways. You know, certainly. Certainly, I, I know your experience, David, uh, 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 gives you a particular context of what it's like to, to navigate different cultures and languages. But I think the real power of communications uh, in, in today's world is, is your ability to reach um, audiences that you previously haven't been able to reach. And moreover than that, I, I think what's, what's uh, become more apparent to me is um, the ability to influence and also um, uh, be able to tell a, a compelling story and um, share a really compelling narrative. I think now more than ever, we see um, that narratives across cultures, across languages are um, becoming more and more connected. And I think more people through the ability of reaching out to, to folks that they otherwise wouldn't have spoken with um, throughout the world are, are able to find more in common than they do that um, puts us apart. And I think that that's um, the real power of communications in today's world. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I, I think I largely agree with everything you said there um, in terms of uh, the channels used and the um, contact that we have with uh, communities that we might otherwise just not engage with um, because it's become so much more far reaching and uh, convenient uh, to, to share messages. I was curious, um, building on that, how important uh, do you think storytelling is with communication? I've heard that we learn like through stories. Uh, so I was just curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really is paramount. Um, you know, think we, we think to the stories 
we've been told as as a kid and how compelling those those stories are. And I think the reason that storytelling is so important in communications is because um, it makes the ideas that you want to communicate relatable. Uh, and when you're able to craft a story, what you're able to do is weave a narrative, uh, a, a narrative that people will be able to relate to and understand. And um, stories turn into narratives and narratives um, speak about our values. And I think when you get closer to be to to being able to recognize how you can tell a story that connects to a larger narrative and that then is able to speak to someone's values. Um, you're 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 putting yourself in a good position to communicate uh, the ideas that you want to get across. Okay, understood. Um, how can we address the challenge of misinformation or disinformation in the context of storytelling and communication? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that that that's a really good question. I mean, you know, I, I think quite a bit about the work that I, I did just before coming to the Man City Group. I worked for a agency called the Now Group, and uh, much of my work when I spent just about two years there uh, was working with uh, healthcare clients across the country. So many of them uh, trade unions, different governments, um, and uh, healthcare departments across. Canada and uh, they grappled with this issue quite quite a bit um, of mis and disinformation. And I think uh, what what was really clear was that the tools of communications that were used that I just named storytelling, being able to set a narrative, being able to connect to people's values um, can be used for various purposes, sometimes to spread the information that that was needed in the context of the pandemic around uh, vaccines and mask wearing and hand washing, um, but also uh, were used to spread information that wasn't true. Uh, and uh, one tactic that we had deployed in order to combat that was finding a way to um, find validation and um, a, a trusted voice in, in, in the work that you do. So when you ask around um, being able to combat mis and disinformation, it's about having someone uh, who's credible, who can speak um, as a trusted partner uh, from a position of power that can really validate much of what um, is out there. And um, yeah, re really, I think finding that uh, finding that trusted, credible person to be able to speak on uh, on uh, uh, one's behalf is uh, really important to, to combat uh, the the kind of difficulties that we find with mis and disinformation. Thank you. You touched on uh, a future question that I had: uh, the role of uh, leaders and influencers uh, or celebrities, uh, the, the role that they play in amplifying messages for social change. Um, I was curious if we could drill down a little bit in your opinion, your experience. Um, what are some common pitfalls or obstacles that organizations face when trying to communicate for social change and how can they overcome them? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a well-known communication saying out there which says that um, when you're saying too many things, you're really saying nothing. Uh, and uh, sometimes I find that organizations can really put themselves in a place of 
trying to share all their priorities, maybe providing a laundry list or saying, you know, we, we need to be able to fundraise to meet um, uh, all these different targets to, um, to, to provide all these different kinds of successes. And I, I would say a common pitfall is um, not being focused and disciplined around the message that you want to put out there. Um, uh, often uh, we, we find that you need to repeat a message time and time again before it gets through. Uh, we, we say this in, in politics uh, and there's a reason why there are slogans out there uh, when, when politicians are campaigning. It's because when uh, folks are, are are sharing a particular slogan or a message that they want to get out there, uh, by the time they're sick of saying it, often the public is hearing it for the first time. And so being able to stay disciplined around the one message that you want to communicate uh, is, is key to being able to uh, see results in the work that you're doing. Great answer. Um, can you share an example of a successful communication campaign that led to significant social change? Uh, and if so, what made it effective? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think about work that I did uh, maybe on on uh, wearing different hats. Uh, so I, I mentioned that I uh, worked for some time as an advisor to the uh, BCNDP, to the Oregon government, um, and to cabinet. And, and just before that, um, I, I was doing, uh, volunteering my time with a number of different organizations, one of which was the $10 a day, um, uh, uh, campaign and the living wage for families campaign. And, uh, what I saw as an effective campaign, um, around childcare, uh, really was embodied through the election of, of this new government in, in BC in 2017, uh, which was able to take a, a an effective campaign that was able to create buy-in from uh really people across the political spectrum and be able to successfully advocate for their policies within um, uh, a platform and then continue their advocacy while um, that government was was ruling um to to really see and get results delivered. Um, through government. And so uh, a couple of things I would say uh, was really effective as a part of the $10 a day child care campaign. Number one, I would say that um, there was some strong message discipline. Uh, there was a lofty and uh, um, uh, in many ways quite um, bombastic goal to say that child care could cost $10 a day. When the campaign started, some families were paying up to $2,000 a month in child care costs, um, sometimes even more. And um, it seemed like a pretty far-flung dream. Uh, and, and I think being able to, to set up and create expectations and goals and, and, and repeat that consistently was um, core to why the campaign was successful. I, I think another thing uh, that uh, aided them was the ability to find validators. Uh, you know, in many ways, folks thought that this issue was a, a an issue that solely affected women and those who could give birth. And that's just not the case. We know that there's a clear economic case for why childcare is so important and a, a real case to make a connection to um, early years learning 
for uh, children and um, the benefits that we see of uh, uh, children and youth going into school. Um, and, and I think the third thing that was really true was um, just the consistency, um, being able to be consistent, um, see through a, a campaign that, um, you know, was certainly uh, years, if not decades in the making, um, and uh, being able to be quite nimble in uh, advocating hard for these ideas to make their way into uh, political platforms, and then holding the government accountable uh, to their commitments. And uh, yeah, I see that as a campaign that, um, uh, you know, I supported, was involved in, and then was able to um, really help uh, grow in its uh, policy uh, while working as a part of the government. And so uh, it was certainly a successful campaign and a campaign that continues um, to see its successes. Great. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I can see that connecting to a lot of your previous answers as well, as far as like effective communication, uh, storytelling, uh, being consistent and having champions, uh, influencers, if you will. Um, I was curious... Uh, could you discuss the role of social, um, sorry, cultural sensitivity and inclusiveness in communication campaigns aimed at fostering social change? And before I pass it off to you, um, my thinking, uh, given my background, which we know a little bit about having lived in uh, East Asia for a number of years, uh, would be the the best way is to go live in a different country for several years. Not everyone can do that for a variety of reasons. Um, is there like a Pareto principle sort of thing, like some some easy wins, some fast fixes that uh, you see we could make uh, in having cultural sensitivity and inclusiveness uh, in our communication campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. It's a question that I think many organizations and, you know, even myself that, that, that I struggle with. Um, and... I think that sometimes uh, being able to, to speak about um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, th these are really big, sometimes difficult topics to unpack. But in many ways, we know that we have the tools to be able to um, see some credible results. In, in in that work and sometimes it's it's as simple as understanding what it is that that you want to measure uh you know one way that i find uh we can reflect the communities that we serve is actually ensuring that those who are providing the service or um the stories that we're telling are reflective of the diversity of stories and communities that um, this message is for. So when we think about uh, the audience that we want to connect with, um, you know, I, I've spoken quite a bit about um, the $10 a day childcare plan, perhaps, uh, you know, we think about parents and families being a part of the stories that, um, or rather part of the audience that we want to connect with. You know, we, we, we want to think about uh, our audience and say, you know, what kind of stories and families are reflected in the work that we want to pursue. Uh, you know, is it a typical um, uh, family of, of four uh, with, uh, uh, you know, a mom and a dad? Is it a, a single parent? Is it uh, a family that might have many generations living in the same household? So I, I think understanding, being able to connect with the audience that you want to speak with is core to, to the work of um, having a 
a communications plan, a message that that resonates with with people. And um, you know, you know, the last thing that I'll share is that um, you know, when when we talk about these big ideas, something like childcare, um, ideas that that I spoke around, you know, healthcare and and, and safety, these things are certainly universal. Right. Um, uh, uh, people's health is universal. Uh, being able to to um, take care of kids in, in our community is universal. Um, and being able to 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 speak with folks um, on their level is, is key to be able to to do this. When I think about um, being able to speak with with different communities, uh, different cultural communities, different language communities. You know, it's not like they struggle. It's not like they do not struggle with housing. They do not struggle with childcare. They do not struggle with uh, affording good healthcare. Um, these are all issues that affect us and finding ways to make uh, a universal issue connected to someone starts with um, being able to reflect those those folks um, within, within your message. Great, yeah, thank you for that. Um, Looking ahead, what emerging communication trends or technologies do you think will significantly impact how we drive social change and how can we prepare for and adapt to these changes? Now, AI is the top of mind uh, in these days, uh, so uh, perhaps you want to talk about that. But if there's anything else, please you know, let, feel free to talk about it however you like. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly you're right, David. AI does come top of mind um, to the changing landscape of communications, the ability for um, uh, automation within the work that we do, and uh, just the quick level of access that that people have. I think on your first question, the impact of communications in um, in an ever connected world uh, certainly. Scope and reach is really important. Uh, that's something that is quite new. But what is also quite new is uh, uh, the speed in which we're able to communicate with people. Um, uh, that that is that is of major consideration. And um, you know, not to belabor the point around AI, I, I think uh, another trend that people should be aware of uh, is also the emergence of um, influencers and, and leaders. So, you know, we spoke a little bit about having someone credible to carry the message that you want to be able to share. And uh, I, I think a new trend that we will see, and it's connected to um, uh, uh, AI, it's connected to a new generation of communicators, of young people that are consuming information in different ways. We're seeing the emergence of, of influencers, of content creators that I think will be really key to um, unlocking the potential of communicating for, for social change. Um, and really what, what, what I see is core to that is being able to um, help and encourage uh, uh, different lifestyles. So um, I, I see quite a bit of what uh, influencers and content creators uh, uh, what, what they do is they um, emulate a kind of lifestyle that folks would like to have. And, um, you know, in social change, what you're looking to do really is behavioral change. So whether you're looking to change people's behavior in the way that they interact with their environment, change people's behavior in the way that they spend their money, um, uh, uh, what, what uh, we're, we're looking to do is um, change 
change their behavior by finding someone to influence um, that behavior. And, and, and one way of doing that is through content creators, is through influencers. And I, and I think we'll see a particular rise in, um, in, in that channel being a place where um, people can really find success in, in social change campaigns and communications. Yeah, interesting. Uh, my mind goes to uh, like artificial influencers, like uh, AI uh, personalities when you can't tell the difference. Absolutely. That is certainly something that uh, appears in our not too distant future, perhaps. Uh, and, you know, that, that'll certainly be a challenge. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm fearful. I'm excited in many ways about uh, something like this. Yeah, me too. I saw a quote. I forget who it was attributed to, but uh, the gist of it was everything you want lies on the other side of fear. Um, <laughs> and I think there's a, an element of truth to that. But going back to the uh, somewhat playful, perhaps prophetic um, AI, battling AI, um, I heard this uh, a colleague of mine was mentioning that um, a professor of his was uh, grading, like using AI to help with his grading of essays that the students used AI to help write. So it's basically like AI grading AI. And I'm thinking of like robot jock sort of thing where, you know, our, our AI personalities are arguing with each other and mm -hmm. we're along for it's the ride. Artificial intelligence inception, it would appear. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, James, thank you so much for answering my questions. Um, is there anything that you uh, that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to touch on? And um, like, is there anything you'd like to tell the audience about you or what you're working on or drawing attention to anything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, what, what, well, maybe I'll, I'll answer kind of both questions and I'll start with uh, the latter and then uh, get to the former. Uh, the first in terms of things that I'm working on, part of uh, uh, the work that I do outside of of uh, my paid work with Van City includes uh, sitting as a part of um, City Hive. City Hive is a, a youth uh, organization that works with kids in schools and young people um, in university to to really increase um, levels of understanding in civic engagement. And uh, you know, you you mentioned David mis and disinformation as being something that um, is challenging the the world and and challenging communicators and uh, professionals um, uh, alike. And um, I, I see the work that City Hive does as trying to combat um, com combat mis and disinformation by increasing the understanding of democracy of uh, values of, of fairness, open scene, transparency in government. And so uh, I would encourage folks to check out uh, cityhive.ca uh, and, and the work that we do and consider supporting it. Uh, in terms of uh, an item to, to touch on, I would love to hear from you, Dave, and maybe a question posed to you um, around some of the best communications advice that you've been provided. Well, thank you. Um... Yeah, I think uh, storytelling is certainly an element of it. Um, for me, uh, not sure how this will land, but I think there's an element of marketing to it as well. Um, marketing in that, like understanding your audience and uh, having that, let's say, product market fit. So the product in this case would be the message you're trying to convey. So as an example, um, let's say you and I are going to lunch. I want to go to ramen. You want to go to... Uh, Pizza, let's say, 
um, you know, no judgment in there. I'm just throwing out two examples. Um, so, so my, my mission is to kind of understand you, what is it that you like and how can I connect that to what it is that I want to convey to you as to like why we should eat ramen? How much of what you like about pizza can we enjoy in the ramen experience? Um, just for example. And of course, that's a little uh, silly example, but um, you can you can build on that with, uh, you know, getting people, uh, getting a group to, to work together or uh, uh, arriving at a time that things should be done, like deadlines and stuff like that. Um, so in my, like some of the, I mean, of course, this is all personal opinion, but in uh, my opinion, um, some of the best communicators I've seen were the ones that had the best uh, storytelling ability. And um, actually, I'll, I'll add another little thing. Uh, this feeds on a, a future interview I'm doing. I was preparing for um, really interesting uh, lady I'm interviewing, and uh, she writes these newsletters. It'll come out later, so I won't really say too much about it now. But um, I disagreed with a, a point she made, and I'm curious about um, the discussion around that. I mean, she's brilliant. I, I was just um, the, the disagreement isn't that she's wrong and I'm right. It's more there's information that uh, is left on the table to to discuss. I felt, and it was about um, uh, luxury goods. So something like Louis Vuitton bags. Uh, and there was an experiment uh, that Payless Shoes uh, conducted where they set up um, this high-end shop of, of uh, shoes and had like influencers come uh, and the who's who basically saying how great the shoes were. And it was a, a massive success. And they were selling $40 shoes for 10 times that amount. And people were saying like, how wonderful the, the stitch work was, or the, the quality of the leather, et cetera. Um, and it was the same shoes that uh, you know would be found in Payless Shoes, a, a, dis, a discount or, or uh, budget uh, shoe store. Um, so, and that reminded me a lot of what I've seen, what I've experienced uh, in tourism, and that is eliciting collaboration from the customers or the clients. Um, when they, when you get their buy-in they have a positive bias. They want their investment to be successful. In this case, the investment was very much uh, cash. They're paying 10 times the price of a equal quality good that they could uh, purchase down the, down the road at Payless Shoes. Um, but sometimes it's just uh, storytelling as well. You get them to choose the restaurant. So uh, I start asking you about like the architecture of this uh, building, uh, lo and behold, it's a ramen shop, but you're already invested in what you like about the building. So you're like, all right, David, you win this round. We'll eat ramen today, but we're definitely eating pizza tomorrow. Um, so uh, yeah, just getting getting that buy-in, understanding uh, your you know your partner, or, you know, opposite side of the table, your your client, your colleague, whoever it is that you're communicating with, um, and uh, just trying to to find that that fit, finding the, the message that resonates with them. And that goes back to the question I asked you as far as with the inter interconnectedness of different cultures, um, just kind of seeing those points where we overlap to a large extent and uh, learning the 5%, 10% linguistic differences that help us connect that, uh, uh, th cross that distance. 
Yeah, that's that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that, David. I I, I heard a number of different themes um, shared in in the example that you named just then, and at the core of it, um, you know, thinking about narrative storytelling and and values. Um, you know, certainly it's it's the ability to build trust with your clients, with your customers, and um, I think that trust is at the core of the relationships that we hold uh, and certainly at the core of um, uh, what good communications uh, looks like. So thank you for sharing that example. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, thanks again for helping me kick off my podcast. And we'll definitely check out cityhive.ca and uh, look forward to watching your progress uh, in the future as well. Thank you so much, David. It was lovely being able to speak with you today. Thank you for listening to the Horizon Podcast. New episodes go out Monday mornings. Next week's guest is Adam McLeod, the brilliant market manager for Lucid Motors, a California-based luxury electric car manufacturer. Adam also has extensive experience at Apple and in HR capacity. Be sure to check it out to learn about attracting and retaining talent in these tumultuous times. Until then, eyes on the horizon. Eyes on the horizon.